turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. A man's man. That's what Bobby Knight was. He died yesterday, 83 years old. He was so much more than one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. He was loud, dropped a lot of F-bombs. He tortured referees, and some people in the media saw him as nothing but a bully. And he probably was a bully. In fact, he was a bully in many ways. But he was a bully the same way that Vince Lombardi was a bully. Only the guys he bullied were younger. They were college kids. And he could be mean, but mostly he was honest. And he bullied them into becoming successful people. And not just successful pro basketball players. Because he really didn't send too many star players to the NBA. That's not how he won. He won over 600 games and three national championships because he knew how to teach kids how to win as a team. And 98% of his kids graduated. <clears throat> he liked winning as much as any coach who's ever coached at any sport or at any level, but he had this crazy idea that college basketball players were college students who played basketball. Kids who played for him knew that they were on campus to go to college and play basketball. Too many coaches, especially now, Uh, see it the other way around, that their basketball players have to work in some college around their basketball while they're there. And Knight was never accused of cheating, no recruiting violations, and there were plenty of stories about how mean he could be to his players, but kids knew that. And they signed up to play for him knowing exactly what they were getting into. He had very little patience for the media, and if somebody asked him what he thought was a stupid question... He'd let them know that it was a stupid question. He'd tell them that was a stupid question. He ended up getting fired by Indiana uh, because he got a little too physical with one of his players. But he went to Texas Tech and had success there because kids who knew all the horror stories about him, about how tough he could be and all that stuff, they were happy to sign up to play for him there. Texas Tech, of all places. Well, there will never be another Bobby Knight, and lots of people will tell you that that's a good thing. But if you were to take a survey among the guys who played for him, including the guys he bullied, most of them would tell you that if they had it to do all over again, they'd sign up for four more years. And one of Bobby Knight's most famous moments, by the way, was when he showed his frustration with the refs by throwing a chair all the way across the court. Well, Lanny Frateri, former Pirates announcer, was doing TV play-by-play of that game. And coming up in our second half hour, we're going to have him here to talk about what he remembers about that night. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Adam Gwillette. He's president of Accuracy in Media. And we're going to talk to him about his doxing trucks that he's been driving around on college campuses the last few days to expose anti-Semites. Stick around. Well, there's doxing, and then there's what is now known as a doxing truck. And the guy who come up with that, who came up with that idea, is Adam Gwillette. He's president of Accuracy in Media, and he joins us now. Adam, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. 
So uh, when and where, well, and why also, I guess, did you introduce your first doxing truck? Well, it's so hysterical that the left-wing media loves labeling it a doxing truck. We send mobile billboards with the names and photos of student leaders of organizations that have signed anti-Semitic proclamations. We never dox anyone. We never share private phone numbers. We never share addresses. Instead, we get their names in their photos from their student newspapers. So if it's not doxing when their student newspaper published the fact that they're the head of an organization, I can't see how the heck it's doxing when we do it. Well, when you hear doxing, you you think that means you told people where you could where they could be found, their addresses, their their phone numbers, that kind of thing. Exactly. We never do that, despite the fact that that's happened to me every day for the past week or so. And despite the fact that their people have assaulted our cameraman, assaulted our truck, assaulted me, and swatted me three times since Friday. These are the sorts of things that we're up against. But the media loves to run around talking about the hypothetical threats of violence toward the other side and about the quote-unquote doxing, which isn't even occurring. Now, we'll get into the, the, uh, the um, details of the so-called doxing in a second, but you said you were swatted three times. You don't mean somebody swatted you like with their hand. You mean SWAT teams, correct? On Friday morning at 1.30, I'm sorry, 2.30 a.m., my local law enforcement received a phone call that I had a gun to my wife's head. A half dozen heavily armed uh, agents arrived at my home, got a code from someone, got in my home, and if I had been home and made the wrong move, they might have killed me. They might have killed my wife. They pulled the same stunt again on Sunday and the same stunt again early Monday morning. These people are attempting to kill me. And rather than reporting much on that, most of the mainstream media is talking about the poor anti-Semitic victims of quote-unquote doxing. Now, uh, let's, let me get this straight now. Y- they... They broke into your house? You, they, they entered your house without you being there with guns? They entered my house without me being there with guns. Thankfully, they didn't have to break down the door because someone who I don't want to mention because I don't want to make them a target gave them the code. And I'm very glad that they did. I was out of state at the time. And imagine being six states away and learning that you're not going to have a front door in your home for the next few days. And on top of that, people want you dead. That's not the best time to not have a front door in your house. Now, who, who were these, uh, you said local law enforcement, were these state police? They, they weren't FBI. Uh, they were uh, from my sheriff's office. Okay, so like a county sheriff or something like that. Um, so, okay. Uh, I, yeah, I, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I, uh, they were essentially that task force, and they were out there with heavily armed rifles. The videos of it are online, and yeah, swatted three times since Friday alone. Okay, so you were, they swatted you the first time. And uh, I guess I'm assuming that you they were made aware that they, they had, uh, if not made a mistake, they were they had been misled and should not have been there. How did it happen a second time? So on Sunday afternoon, they got a phone call that I arrived at my home and saw my wife and another person there and shot and killed them dead. Come on. Uh, These are the kind of people we're dealing with. I'm not kidding. In that instance, they called me and asked me over the phone if they can go in the home and check it out. I said, sure. When I was swatted again on Monday morning, they didn't even bother telling me the reason. By that point, they were pretty pretty sure that I hadn't committed any murders. And uh, they just said, you know, an agent is outside in the perimeter, and they didn't ask to go inside. This is what we're up against. This is what the kind of people that they we're dealing with. But, but wait a minute. Uh, were the same, the same people came the second and third time 
Uh, and and well, how many? I guess it took three times for them to figure out that well, ah, maybe this guy's not going to kill his wife. How did they? Yeah. Was it the same people? Yeah, I don't know. Not not the same people because there's different officers working at different times. No, but different so same agency. Same agency, same agency all three times. I think even the second time, they certainly took it far less seriously than the first time, but I guess their protocol still required them to go inside. And again, they asked me, and I said, sure, absolutely go inside. I'm fine with that. Who knows if there's some kind of creep in there? Um, So I gave them a code to go inside, but the third time they were so, you know, convinced that they didn't even ask to go inside. Well, why why wouldn't there be a fourth or fifth time? What, What puts a stop to it? I don't know what puts this stop to it other than them, them being arrested and locked up for 20 years, which is the charge they would get in Florida on top of other charges. We're looking into it from a legal angle and from a criminal angle. But rather than backing down, rather than you know stopping some of our activism, we've decided to double down. Because if we were to back down, that would simply embolden these people and teach them that that sort of tactic works. Instead, I want them to learn a very, very different lesson. Okay, so... Um Let's talk a little bit about what exactly, just kind of describe to me what happens with the truck. Uh, first, I guess the first, um, the first campus was Harvard. What does the truck look like? What's on it? Who's driving it? That kind of thing. Sure. The first campus we visited was Berkeley Law. More recently, the big one was Harvard, where mm-hmm. 30 student organizations signed a proclamation saying Israel was entirely responsible for the terrorist act that Hamas perpetrated against them. So we found the names of the student leaders. We don't pick casual members of these organizations. We only pick the leaders of these organizations. And we got their names and photos from the Harvard Crimson, their student newspaper, Mm -hmm. which I suppose is now a doxing paper. And we put those names and photos on the side of a mobile billboard and parked it outside their campus. And it said Harvard's leading anti-Semites. I think it's incredibly important for people to know who the anti-Semites are in their community and on their campus. And what was the reaction, first of all, the immediate reaction to the truck itself you know, on the campus? And, and when people saw the truck, I guess it was students who, who mostly who were seeing it. What were they, how were they reacting? Well, on campus, they reacted, as one would expect, with violence. The second day the truck was there, I went out there to interview people. I was assaulted. My cameraman was assaulted. The truck was spray-painted. I was spray-painted. They pounded on the windows, trying to terrify our young female driver and threaten things at her. We uh, we got security, but despite that, the third day, they bashed the back of the truck with a brick. Again, these are the kinds of people that we're dealing with. We're talking to Adam Gwillette. He's president of Accuracy in Media. So who who were the, these were just students. Were they identified by what they were wearing, or were they, did did they claim to be, Palestinian sympathizers, or were they just like a a conglomerate of students, just regular students hanging around? No, so it's a variety uh, that, uh, that damaged the truck. I don't know if they were members of these groups or not or what their deal was, but we only picked leaders of the 30 organizations that publicly signed the letter. And then in addition to the truck, we bought their domain names to set up profile pages so that the broader community could find out what these people were up to perhaps if they were to apply for a job. So, for example, if you go to amaributler.com, A-M-A-R-I butler.com, you could see a profile page for one of Harvard's leading anti-Semites. We also set up harvardhatesjews.com, where you could see the list of all the student leaders who signed this proclamation. The list changes rapidly because 10 groups now 
have retracted their proclamation and apologized. And when they do that, we immediately take them off the list. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going to ask. If, why would you be upset if you, had, if you signed a proclamation, then you, you Adam Gwilette, or, or accuracy in, in media deciding to drive a truck around with their picture on it, that, they should look at that as good advertising. Well, that's what I say. If they're ashamed of what they've done, all they have to do is apologize and we'll take them down. And in addition to the 10 organizations, many individual members have messaged us, apologized, quit the organization. We promptly take them down. If you're not ashamed, honestly, I think you owe me a thank you letter for amplifying your message. Yeah, and so what did someone have to do to qualify for getting their picture up there and their info up on the screen? Just publicly be on a list? Well, they publicly signed these 30 organizations. It's Uh not private correspondence. They publicly signed a proclamation blaming Israel for the terrorist attacks that Hamas perpetrated against them. So if you were a public student leader who signed a public proclamation, yeah, you ended up on our billboard. If you're a casual member, we don't target you. Who knows how involved you really are? Maybe it went to one meeting list or one meeting once. I don't think that's fair. But if you're the leader of an organization who publicly signed this proclamation, yeah, I think your community needs to know that you're anti-Semite. And what did the University of Pennsylvania do to get the truck to show up? Well, their student president, or I'm sorry, their university president has been criticized quite a bit for how she's coddled these anti-Semites for quite some time. Now, however, since we set the truck, she's created an anti-Semitism task force to address the issue and to look into ways to protect students on campus. Similarly, UPenn did the same thing after we sent a truck there. And also the governor of New York sent a, um, uh, is creating a statewide commission to investigate anti-Semitism on college campuses and also to uh, protect the safety of Jewish students. Not coincidentally, we've had our truck at Columbia University for some time as well. In fact, I was there this morning, and I'm talking to you right now from outside the uh, campus of the law school for the City University of New York. And what's going on there at the city uh, of New York, University of New York? Well, they've got a number of faculty members who are heinous anti-Semites. One of them allegedly was raising money for an organization tied to a terrorist group. Uh, Others claim that the only issue of anti-Semitism that they have is with white Christian nationalists. I was never aware that there was a big white Christian nationalist community in Queens, but apparently this guy knows something I don't. But we have heard from so many people online via email that there is a horrible environment of anti-Semitism at the City of University of New York, which is the largest urban college in America. So we decided to come here and check it out. And naturally, they came and got in our faces. And currently, there's about, I'd say, 40 or 50 anti-Semites doing their best to block traffic and block the view of our truck. I appreciate them trying to draw attention to it. Yeah, they are doing that, aren't they? Oh, unquestionably. Uh, I don't think they know that they're not really as productive as they might be and instead are rather counterproductive. But if that's how they want to spend their time. What's also quite interesting is they seem exceptionally prepared uh, with all of these materials that they have when it's our first day here. And the only person I mentioned to ahead of time that we'd be here was an Associated Press reporter. Uh, so it's funny how things work out sometimes. Well, how, do you, how do you suppose they heard about you guys showing up? I don't know. I'm sure it's just one heck of a coincidence. When I was speaking with that reporter yesterday, he asked me what I think about the threat of violence. And I said, well, you know, we've had a lot of threat of violence and, you know, but our organization is standing strong. You know, my family, my wife, my uh, one of my staffers have been threatened and I've been swatted, but we're standing strong against the violence. 
And he said, well, no, I, I meant the violence against students. And I said, is there a single instance of that occurring? And he said, no, but some of them feel scared. Uh, they're afraid, yeah. So you, you mentioned that some people have uh, walked back their support or tried to get out from under what they've done. Um, how much actual resistance have you gotten to your message where people have gotten in your face? And I, I guess I'm talking more about... Uh, maybe the people who actually made your list and had their their faces up on the screen, how many of those people are saying, "Yeah, I signed it, and I'm proud to do it, and uh, I'm I'm you can show my picture everywhere. I'm happy to be associated with it." You get a lot of that. Don't get any of that because wow. they realize that not as much as they'd like, it's it's not entirely socially acceptable to be an anti-Semite. They're realizing that donors are pulling funding from universities over anti-Semitism. This morning, a number of prestigious law firms signed a letter saying that they're not going to hire anti-Semites and they want these universities to do something about it. And I guess also some of them have realized that, and I could jokingly say this as a Jew, in the legal profession, there are a few Jews and they're not too keen on hiring anti-Semites. <laughs> yeah, and and um, what you, you we're talking to um, uh, Adam Gwilett. He's president of Accuracy and Media. So what you do is keep your eye on the media what has been the reaction from the media to what you're doing and the reaction to what you're doing you know it varies wildly when i was swatted you know there was some i i thought really good and fair coverage about what happened but again you know after getting swatted three times and the first concern an associated press reporter has is that there might be possible um scared eating uh, scariness amongst some of the anti-semitic students you know his concerns weren't my wife, my parents, and my staff are being threatened for two weeks. His concerns weren't me being swatted or assaulted. His concerns weren't the Jewish students who've been assaulted on multiple campuses throughout the country. His concerns were some of the other students feel scared. Some of the anti-students feel scared. And I, I couldn't even believe that that was a serious question from an alleged journalist. So what's coming up next, Adam? I got about a minute left here. What are you going to, what's the plan here? Well, we're going to keep things going at Columbia, at the City University of New York. We're going to be visiting other campuses in the East Coast this week. And I think probably starting next week, we're going to return to some West Coast campuses because there are a massive amount of anti-Semites at Berkeley Law, Berkeley Undergrad, UC Davis. We're going to keep fighting this fight until these people realize it's not all right to be a racist anti-Semite. As a Jewish person and as someone who's involved in the media, uh, would it... Nobody's going to say that anything could possibly good could come out of what's happened here and what caused you know what where all this began, but uh, in the end, when it's all said and done, is this one thing that could be good that comes out of it where where the anti semites have been exposed forever? Well, that's exactly it. I think there are two good things. One, so many people have been foolish enough to raise their hand and say, "Hey, I'm a hateful anti semite." Mm -hmm. Well, now we know who the bad people are. I think it's better to know that. And in addition, as a Jewish person, I've bemoaned for decades that the fight that we wage against anti semites is done incorrectly. We try to increase discourse with them. We try to show how compassionate we are. These are people who are happy to hide behind civilians and use them as human shields. If they don't have compassion towards their own people, they're never going to have compassion to us. And I'm never going to advocate violence towards anyone, but I do think that these people need to be exposed. I think the only way to combat anti-Semitism is to hold them accountable for their actions. And if we stop coddling and appeasing them, maybe we'll see a better environment on college campuses. Well, you're doing the uh, exact opposite of appeasing. <laughs> it seems to be working out well. You're having great effect. So congratulations on the effort and hope to have you on again soon. 
Thank you so much for having me. We love putting frowns on the faces of bad people. <laughs> Who doesn't? Thanks, uh, Adam Gwillett, president of Accuracy and Media. We'll be right back. As you know by now, Bobby Knight died yesterday, and he was a human lightning rod. Lots of controversy to go along with enough success um, to be recognized as one of the best college basketball coaches of all time. Well, in the TV age, and especially now in the Internet age, it's easy for a person to be captured in a moment and then be identified by that moment forever. That's what happened to Bobby Knight back in 1985, and here's what it sounded like on TV. And He's we got, got a technical. Right there. There's the tee. Technical against the bench and against Bob Knight. Steve Reed, an excellent free throw shooter, will have the honor of shooting the technicals. Look at here, look at here. Bobby Knight just threw his chair clear across the free throw lane. And I think uh, Fred Unbelievable. Jackson. He picked up another tee. Now Fred Jaspers has called for athletic director Ralph Floyd. Fred Jaspers talking to uh, Mr. Floyd down in the uh, corner. Now we got Ralph Floyd out on the floor. It's 11 to 6. We're just five minutes into the contest, and this has erupted. There's a good chance Bobby Knight's been ejected from this basketball game. Fred Jasper is explaining it to the scorer's table. Now Gene Cady, the Purdue coach, comes over just to stay in contact with what decisions have been made. Uh-oh, we got, now we got three. Now He's we got gone. three. He's yep. gone. Yep, that's uh, three technicals and he was gone. And if you think you recognize that voice, it's because you probably did. It's former Pirates announcer, former voice of the Pirates, Lanny Frateri, who joins us now. Lanny, how are you? John, thank you very much for having uh, me on your program. And uh, let me take this opportunity to thank you also for helping us at Waynesburg University. You've been coming down on Thursdays to talk to my announcing and sports announcing students. And it's, it's very valuable to my, to my young people to have your experience and your wisdom bestowed upon them so thanks for doing that yeah i appreciate uh, you having me down i have a lot of fun doing it i was down there today as a matter of fact and um, yeah and and uh, so i i have to ask you um that what we just played was obviously the sound of your voice describing it but it was a tv it was a it was a telecast so it wasn't a radio call so can you right. just describe uh, in your uh uh in your voice the Lanny for terry voice what the scene looked like there? What was what was the scene there? I mean, everybody's seen the the um, you know seen the picture, but what was it like being in the middle of it? Well, um, yes. Let me let me say that um, um, I worked also with a guy named Bill Hoskett. Bill was a All American at um, Ohio State and then played in the NBA a little bit, and and I had worked with Bill uh, doing Ohio State basketball, and then the two of us were asked to do the Big Ten game of the week, and it was um, in Bloomington, Purdue against Indiana, and uh, um, we were set up right behind the scorer's table, our TV broadcast booth, and uh, which was not too far away from the benches and particularly from the Indiana bench where, from which Bobby Knight uh, catapulted the, the chair. Um, you know, people have asked me, and, and, and also I have uh, a good number of my friends and former students 
that every year on the anniversary of the chair throwing, um, I get calls from people reminding me it's the anniversary. And uh, I've probably been asked more about the Bobby Knight chair game than I have anything in my sportscasting career. But And everybody said, well, what would you say? Well, I just I, I just described what happened and that he threw the chair and then, and then described to the best of my ability what transpired after that leading up to you know, the, the powers that be talking to the officials and deciding how they were going to get them out of the arena. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, and I told you this story earlier, John, um, when Bobby Knight came out, it was a four o'clock game. It was a beautiful Saturday in Bloomington. And when Bobby Knight came out, he came out with a golf shirt and golf sweater on. And I made the comment at the beginning of the broadcast that he looked like he was ready to play golf today. And then after he threw the chair, my partner, Bill Hoskett, said, I think his tea time is earlier than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> so, uh, um, and by the way, you heard me, uh, I thought that was rather rather beneficial on my part. I, I pointed out what the score was when all this happened. Your students would um, be proud. Yeah, I know. You've got to give the score right. and, and the time a lot in a, a sporting event. So, uh, well, um, but you, I didn't play the whole clip um, of the... Uh, it was a little bit too long, and it was a long pause in there. You let you kind of just uh, left the let the pictures tell the story. It doesn't work too well on radio. And isn't that what announce? Isn't that what good announcers do when they work television? TV. If the t- if the pictures are telling the story, uh, the secret is knowing when to shut up. So you did that for a yeah. while, and but you did at the end when you finally brought it, came back and said that you know Bobby Knight was leaving and he had been thrown out. Uh, you referred to the uh, was it your partner who said something about the golf on the on the way out, right? Yeah, well, he said about it was Bill yeah. who said uh, his tea yeah. time is earlier than we thought it was. Yeah, yeah. So they so you 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 uh, were he was good enough to remember what you had said that worked, but it was only <laughs> as you said it was only five minutes into the game. Yeah, it was very very early in the game, and and I told you earlier today when we were talking about it, my my son David was about fourteen at the time, and um, he and I were together in Bloomington, uh, David and I, we visited presidential homes and grave sites together. And what we did is we flew into Indianapolis on Friday and we went to Benjamin Harrison's home on Friday and then, and then drove down to Bloomington. So he was with me at the game. And, um, and so it was really, you know, again, it's something that is a part of my career that my, my son was able to share with me. Yeah. On another subject, but that's another thing that we have in common. We, you, we both uh, are, uh, love history, American history, and you're a big uh, expert. You're a, ma- a major expert on the presidents, and you've, you've always talked about it. Did you ever go to uh, Harry Truman's house? I have not. No, I've, I've been to quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, That's the and, only one I've um, been to. And uh, the, reason I, okay. <laughs> the only reason I bring it up is that uh, I, I was in Kansas City to cover the Steelers, and I, I was on my way to Las Vegas after that, to to, to cover a, a Michael Moore fighting in the heavyweight uh, for the heavyweight championship, I think it was, um, or at least in a, fight, in a fight. But anyway, I I um, I had a day in Kansas City to do nothing, so I headed for Independence, Missouri, and visited Harry Truman's house. It was great. Well, uh, well let me recommend too that if anybody is interested in doing uh, those type of visits, the best place to start is to go to Virginia and Thomas Jefferson's home, Monticello, right. James Monroe's home, Ashlawn, and um, James Madison's home, Montpelier, are all within very close proximity of one another. 
So if you ever want to do a presidential tour to get you and your children under uh, underway in that process, that that would be a great place, great place to start. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to those places in Virginia. Um, so anyway, back to, back to uh, Bobby Knight and this incident because uh, you know you and I both have you do you did a lot more play by play than I did. I, I've done enough play by play radio and TV to know what how it works and what it's like, and that there are other people involved, especially in TV. Besides you and uh, and your partner on on the air, there are people talking in your ear. What was the reaction uh, in the control room and by at, and by the from the producer when he threw the chair? And you, I guess, you go to commercial break not long after that. Well, that's a great question, John. Because uh, when I, when we got when we were hired by the big fan, um, the producer of the telecast was the communications director of the conference. And so we were working basically for him. But when after Bobby Knight threw the chair and he went to a commercial break, Bill Hoskett and I, both having the ability to talk to the TV truck, we we noticed that they didn't show the chair throw again. We kept telling the truck, why aren't you showing the, the chair throw? <laughs> and they, they were saying that they didn't want to do it. They didn't think they should do it. And we argued about the fact that every every TV station in America already had it, mm-hmm. and it was going to go, you know, I mean, this was before Internet, obviously, yeah. but it was still going to blossom and, and explode uh, everywhere in America that, that had the ability to tap into our broadcast. And, uh, and so we finally convinced them uh, to use it. And, and again, John, and I, and I know you will agree with me about this, but... But, you know, when, you, when you're involved in something as monumental as that or a no-hitter or game-winning home run right. or, you know, a Super Bowl catch, you know, it isn't about the quantity. It's about, it's about you know, describing the moment to the best of your ability and then getting out of the way yep. and letting people enjoy the, 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 the video that goes with that, with that monumental moment. Yeah, and, and you did that. And so... I just this is kind of an ethical thing, or kind of a maybe it's an inside baseball thing to use an expression. Um, uh, that you were were you an employee of the Big Ten and not a network there, and so that there was some concern about maybe somebody uh, higher up in the Big Ten would get mad if you if you dwelled on it. They'd rather have it just go away so they didn't have to talk about it anymore. Oh yeah, there's no no question about it. We were hired by the Big Ten, and they approved, uh, you know, which is pretty much yeah. the standard operating procedure in sports yeah. these days as it relates relate to conferences and teams. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no question that, that, you know, I do West Virginia baseball every spring. Uh, it's on ESPN Plus, but I know that West Virginia is going to decide whether I come back year after year, and right. I, you know, I'm willing to give in. Uh, to a number and to most of their demands as it relates to how I conduct myself uh, relating to the job I do. But I, I will also say that having done it as long as I have, I mean, there would be certain situations. I mean, if they asked me to, you know, to do the games with a clown outfit on, I would, would tell them no. But, you know, and then if they said to me, well, we're going to fire you, and then I'd say, well, okay, I'll, I can accept that. But, <laughs> yeah, you're uh, paying me a pretty good buck. Where's the suit? Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, um, but I, I, and I, and you and I both teaching young people about broadcast. I mean, that's one of the challenges for young people to accept the fact that, you know, they're, they're going to be asked to do things in their career that may not make sense to them, but, but somebody who is in charge and, 
and uh, and is hiring you, you there's certain things you have to accept as as part of the job. Otherwise, you you move on. Yeah, and I think the students and and even people in, in the uh, media who are not involved in in the play by play part of sports and in, and in the actual game coverage, live game coverage, radio, TV, whatever. Um, they they they'll criticize someone like you or Mike Lang or my brother when he was doing the Penguins games for being a homer, as though as though uh, you're not. In other words, when you called a home run for the Pirates and you said go, you were calling a Pirate game. You said go ball, get out of here. You didn't say that when somebody for the Cubs hit hit a ball deep. <laughs> so it's pretty obvious who you want to win. And but but there's nothing wrong with that. That's not you're not doing journalism there. And sometimes. People uh, outside of it, and people in the media uh, who are journalists, think that you're supposed to you're supposed to be doing journalism, and you're not. Well, and I, John, I believe that the bottom line is is you've got to be fair. Okay, you've got to right. be fair to, to to both teams. But but I tell you, you know, I learned late in my career that when it came to beat writers, for example. I knew beat writers that weren't telling stories to their readers because that because it was about a player that was that writer's source in the clubhouse, uh-huh. and that the writer would not write about the story because if he did, he would lose his source in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So when I hear all this pontificating about play-by-play announcers and guys that work for teams that are not objective, I'm reminded of those times I witnessed things happening in the clubhouse that didn't get reported because the writer didn't want to lose a source. Well, i got to ask you, got a couple minutes left here with Lanny Frateri. He, as Lanny said at the beginning here, he and I work together. Uh, I just I parachute in once a week, but Lanny is very, very much involved in the communications department down there at Waynesburg University, uh, and they have a sports announcing uh, major that you can have down there. Um, I, I have to ask you, we got a couple minutes, how, what's your feeling about the future of broadcasting in America based on I don't, know, I don't know how many years it is now you've been doing it, but you've been doing it for a while, and the students that have come through there. Well, I've been teaching for 15 years at Waynesburg University, wow. and I tell my students, I tell parents that are interested in broadcasting, there are more opportunities now in sportscasting than ever before. There are more networks. There are more minor league teams that are doing Internet broadcasts, minor league baseball teams, Internet broadcast. There is more opportunity. My argument is is that, there is always going to be a changing of technology that will change whether one form of that technology is more acceptable than another. But the, but the need for effective communicators is never going to change. And so, yes, we, we may not have uh, some things in sports casting, and it may not be as important a deal as it was when you and I were growing up and we were listening to Bob Prince do baseball, and there right. was only – 10 or 15 pirate games on on television you know then then if you wanted to be a pirate fan you heard bob prince well that changed dramatically but nevertheless all that works all the new internet outlets all the other possibilities for young people to get into sports casting and of course i'm prejudiced because i think play-by-play announcing is the best job in sports oh yeah and and uh, i think uh, i've i i ask all the students i work with um, at the beginning of the semester, I ask them to fill out an index card with their three major goals or where they where they see themselves when they when they leave Waynesburg or when they get their first job or in the early part of their career. And most of them say play by play, but most of them don't end up doing play by play. They find out either they're not very good at it or they like 
other things better. But the, but the guys who want to do play-by-play, they do it. Yeah, and, and I also remind them, John, that you may have a goal, you know, for example, in my case, I want to be a major league announcer. But, right. but you know, if I, if I had become, you know, the voice of the Indianapolis AAA baseball team or Buffalo or Columbus, I mean, if my life had been announcing baseball at AAA level, you know, that might have been a really fun life for me or in my hometown of Rochester, New York. So, mm-hmm. um, but the one thing that you know, John, is that, is that when you come out of college, you're not going to jump into, you know, your A job right off the bat. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't know if I ever told you this or not, but my first announcing job was as a disc jockey at a topless go-go place. Did I tell you that? <laughs> no, I didn't. But why didn't you stay there? Uh, no, one, <laughs> one, I did it for one summer yeah. and that was enough. I got $35 a night, three shows a night. That was, that was a summer of my, between my freshman and sophomore years. That was my, my first paid announcing job, you, announcing girls. Were you calling play? Gallery. So are you doing play by play? No, I didn't have to do play <laughs> by play. No, thank you. <laughs> hey, Lanny. At the uh, Pussycat Lounge. Uh, is it still in business? No, it's a parking lot now. <laughs> well, hey, I I really appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate and enjoy working with you, and I'll see you next Thursday, and thanks for coming on the show. All right, John, thanks for inviting me. Okay, that's Lanny for Terry. We'll be right back. Well, since we uh, just had Lanny for Terry on our last segment, and i got a couple minutes left here, and the Steelers play tonight, uh you know, I guess it puts me in the mood. Why not a little sports uh, to finish off with here? There's been, uh, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there seems to be a lot of um, discussion in town about a guy named Matt Canada. Maybe you've picked up on it a little bit. Uh, speaking of being doxxed, it's a good thing somebody hasn't doxxed him because uh, his family might actually be in trouble because he's the Steelers' offensive coordinator and he's been taking a lot of heat. And uh, the media have been part of the heat big part of it. Um, there are actually chants at Penguins games, fire Canada, fire Canada at Penguins games. Um, they're blaming the, the troubles with the offense on Matt Canada. It's a shame. And, and let me tell you, I, I don't know how much of it is his fault, but I've been watching and I'm watching Kenny Pickett and I see him, I see plays that look like, I'm guessing they were, you know, they, they were, called by the, the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, and they were the plays that they practiced uh, during the week that they were going to run in the game, and I see guys running open and Kenny Pickett not hitting them. And I don't know how you, I don't know how you blame the, uh, the offensive coordinator for that. So I'll be watching for that tonight. Uh, Kenny Pickett, he's got, a, he got banged up ribs. He, it happened on Sunday. He's only had three days to get over it. They're saying he's going to play. I'm, I think I'll believe that when I see it, but uh, people need to back off of Matt Canada a little bit uh, for, for two reasons. Um, it's not fair, but you have no idea how much of it is Matt Canada's fault and how much of it is the quarterback's fault, and you have no idea whether or not if they got somebody else in there, it would change. So let it play out. Let the guy finish out the season. You probably don't know what you don't know. I'll talk to you tomorrow.